Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Where are you? I'm right here in Pepper Pike in the Family Life Center. If we post that question, if I ask that question now, just as a question, and I say, where are you? Post in the comments, where are you? You can do that. That would be really, really cool, but you'd probably say things like, oh, I'm in the Cleveland area, I'm in South Euclid, I'm in Solon, I'm in New Mexico, I'm in Mexico, I'm in Singapore, I'm in Georgia, I'm in Texas, I'm in wherever you physically happen to be. That's not really the point of God's question, though. And we're going to get to that. My name's Scott Blevins. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Garfield Memorial Church. And as Pastor Chip said, I'm kicking off today our series on reconciliation, reconcile, reconciling, part of our 2020 vision process. And we're starting with this question, where are you? Where are you? I want to tell you a story. Uh, It's one of my favorite stories of all time. There's this little girl. And, and, and she's, she's lived a, a, a tremendously blessed, you know, one could say privileged life to this point in her life. She's young, five years old. Um, she's got a mommy and a daddy who love her. Uh, and every night, her bedtime routine is this. When it's time to go to bed, she leaves wherever she's been playing. And she comes to her daddy who's sitting in his favorite chair. It's dad's chair. Everyone knows it's dad's chair. And he's sitting there waiting for her. He crawls up, she crawls up in his lap and nestles against him. And he says, hi, sweetie. And she says, hi, daddy. And he says, I'm going to tell you a story. And he tells her a story. And after the story's over, he says, good night, sweetie. I love you. She says, good night, daddy. I love you. And they kiss each other good night. And she goes off to bed. And she pulls her covers up to her chin and drifts off to sleep. Now, that's, that's her bedtime routine, and that, that's one of her favorite things in the whole world is her bedtime routine with Daddy. And, and, but she's got other favorite things, and one of her other favorite things is she's got a pearl necklace. Well, now, she's five years old. It's not real pearls, right? They're fake pearls. She doesn't even know where she got them as far as she's concerned. She's always had them. Truth is, her mom got them at a yard sale years and years and years ago, and they're fake pearls, but she wears them all the time because she loves her mommy, too, and she wants to be like her mommy, and whenever her mom Mommy gets dressed up, whether she's going to church, when you can go to church, whether she's going out to dinner, going to the theater, she always puts on her pearl necklace. So this little girl wears her pearl necklace all the time, except in the swimming pool and the bathtub. And then one night, a most extraordinary and distressing thing happened when she climbed up into her daddy's lap. He told her story, and before he said, good night, sweetie, I love you, he said, sweetie, Give me your necklace. Now she just laughed because she knew that daddy knew how important that necklace was to her. And she wasn't giving that up for anything. And she laughed and she kissed him on the cheek and said, good night, daddy, I love you. And he kissed her back and said, good night, sweetie, I love you. And then the next night he asked her the same question. And she laughed again, but this time it was a little bit of uncomfortableness in her laugh. And a little bit of uncomfortableness when she kissed him good night and said, I love you. And he kissed her good night and said, good night, sweetie, I love you too. 
And then the next night he asked the question again and she didn't laugh at all. She said, Daddy, stop asking me that question. It's my necklace. I, don't, I can't give you my necklace. So he told her the story and he kissed her goodnight and she kissed him goodnight. Good night, sweetie. I love you. Good night, Daddy. I love you. And then the next night and the next night and the next night, her daddy kept asking her, sweetie, will you give me your necklace? Until finally, the little girl was so distressed and so anxious and so fearful and so upset that she felt like her daddy was making her choose between her necklace and him. And and she didn't know what to do and she didn't want to give up her necklace and she loved her daddy, but she couldn't face the question again. So this day, she just ran up to his chair and she kissed him on the cheek and said, good night, daddy, I love you, as she ran off to bed. And she did that for a few nights. And she heard her daddy calling out, good night, sweetie, I love you. And finally, she couldn't even do that anymore. And one night, she just went from her playroom straight to bed. And this time, she pulled the covers over her head. She didn't tell her daddy goodnight. She didn't kiss him on the cheek. She didn't tell him she loved him. She didn't hear a story, but she did hear from the family room her daddy call out, Sweetie, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? It's a question that is not a locational question. Whatever you may have put in the comments on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're watching, it's not a locational question, not when God's asking it of Adam and Eve. He knew where they were. It wasn't a locational question, it was a relational question. God was saying, where are you in relationship to me? Let's give a little context here. Pastor Chip read it. God had created the world. It was perfect. It was pure. It was innocent. He'd created Adam and Eve. And let's not, you know, let's not get distracted about, is this historical reality? Did this really happen? You're, you're missing the point of the story if you get caught up in that question, no matter how you answer it. Let's hear the truth of this story. God had made these two human beings, given them life, placed them in an orchard where where they had all they needed to eat was their low-hanging fruit. They just had to reach out and take it. They were surrounded by wild animals, but there was no hostility. There was no fear. There was no fear or hostility or bitterness between the two human beings, Adam and Eve, between them and God. They were in such a state of purity, innocence, hope, and trust with each other. That there was no fear, there was no insecurity, there was no, they were naked, and yet they didn't feel vulnerable or ashamed. And then they broke it. They broke it. Adam and Eve broke it. Now, they didn't just break some rule, this don't eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. This isn't a, a, an arbitrary rule God gave them to, to uh, uh, you know, test their loyalty. I don't think God plays those kind of games. God was saying, if you eat this tree, fruit from this tree, things are going to happen that you don't want to happen, that I don't want to happen, and it's going to lead to death. And they did it. And they broke the world, and they broke their relationship with God, and they broke their relationship with each other, and they broke themselves. And God comes to them with a question. Where are you? Where are you? This question is is deceptively simple because it, it, it 
It wasn't eliciting information from Adam and Eve, that locational information. It was pushing them into themselves to reflect on themselves, to see themselves. It was revealing things about themselves to themselves. By the way, I need to say here at this point that there's a lot of stuff in this message that I've drawn from the teaching, the writing of Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama. I'm not going to try to cite him every time he comes up. That'll get confusing and cumbersome and I'll miss one. Um, Just do this instead. Get his book, Three Mile an Hour God, and his book, uh, No Handle on the cross and read those and see for yourselves. So this question was relational and it was reflexive and it was pushing Adam and Eve to reflect on where they stood with God. Where am I in my relationship to God? Where am I in relationship with other people? And the answer to that question was very simple. They were hiding because they were afraid and they were ashamed And they felt insecure and they felt vulnerable. So insecure and so vulnerable, they're trying to cover themselves up, protect themselves. My goodness, how can we be naked in this dangerous world? we got to find some way to protect ourselves. They didn't do a very good job of it, but they were broken. They were broken and they were hiding. I know what that's like. You ever done something you knew you'd messed up? I did. I've done a lot. A lot. I'm going to give you one. If I gave you all of them, we'd be here for a long time, and then I probably wouldn't have a job afterwards. So I'm going to give you one. When I was a kid, my dad had a pair of binoculars. They were really nice binoculars. And, and I was not allowed to touch the binoculars, to use the binoculars, to play the binoculars without my dad's direct supervision. Well, one day dad was at work. I was at home. No one was watching, and there were the binoculars. And I thought, not only do I want to look through the binoculars... I want to see what they look like on the inside. So I took the binoculars apart, like completely apart. I thought, well, if I can get them apart, I can get them back together. Not so much. Couldn't get them back together. Well, maybe dad will be able to get them back together, but he couldn't get them back together either because I lost parts. Yeah. And I, you know, you've been there. You've done something wrong. You're embarrassed and ashamed about it. And, and you're just like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want the lecture. I don't want the speech. I don't want the, this is what you did wrong. I know I did wrong. Just give me my punishment, whatever it's going to be, and let me get on with my life. I don't want to deal with this. You've been there. I've been there way too many times to talk about. And that's where Adam and Eve were. They were hiding. They didn't want to face God. They didn't want to face themselves. They didn't want to face each other. They just wanted to move on. They just wanted to move on. Where are you, God says, in relationship to me? That question revealed some things to Adam and Eve about themselves, that their relationship with God was broken. And their relationship to themselves and each other was broken. The question did something else too. It revealed some things about God. Some very important things about God that if we blow through this passage too quickly and if we've grown up in the church and we've had bad teaching about the fall of humanity, um, we're going we're gonna to read the wrong things into it. You'll notice the word sin doesn't appear anywhere in Genesis chapter 3. All right, and, 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 and God doesn't show up angry and, and, and throwing lightning and punishing people. doesn't happen. We're going to get to consequences in a minute, but that doesn't happen. When we think about what God could have done and how God could have responded, this question becomes even more profound because God could have shown up with a lecture, right? You did this, you were wrong with that, and all this, and I did all of this for you, and after I've done all of this, and you do this to me, and I had this really nice world, and now you've messed it up. There wasn't any of that. God could have shown up with condemnation and judgment. You dirty, rotten, awful, scummy human beings. 
How dare you? God didn't have to show up at all. From on high, God could have sent lightning down, fire and brimstone, earthquakes, cracks in the ground, struck him dead right then and there. God didn't even have to show up at all. But God did show up. And he met them in the same place where he had met them before they broke everything. And he came to them with the same loving, gentle care that he had with them before they broke things. And he called out to them, where are you? Where are you? One of the things this question reveals is that God is eternally and self-sacrificially committed to establishing or reestablishing a relationship with them, a relationship with you too. Otherwise, why not just punish? Why not just write it out on a stone tablet? Here's everything you did wrong. Sorry about your luck. Life's going to be hard for several thousand years. But he came to them with a question. Because God wants relationship. God wants reconciliation. But this question and the statements that God did make that follow reveal something about reconciliation as well. And what it reveals about reconciliation is this, that there is no reconciliation without suffering. So I'm going to go back and read. I'm going to kind of bounce really quickly through the, the, most of the rest of the passage of Genesis chapter 3. After God says, where are you? Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Another question. Still no lectures. Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Another question. Still no lectures. And God's not, again, God's not looking for information. God knows the answers to all of these things. He knows the information. He's giving Adam an opportunity to confess. And that word confess is much deeper and richer than our, our, our criminal crime police dramas portray it. It has to do with seeing and acknowledging reality the way God sees it and acknowledges it. To speaking the truth about a situation the same way God speaks the truth about it. He's giving the opportunity for Adam and Eve to say, we messed up, we screwed up, we broke your world, we broke ourselves, where do we go from here? But Adam's still hiding. He's talking now, but he's still hiding. Instead of hiding behind trees, now Adam's hiding behind blaming and excuses and and rationalizations and justifications. And this is what he says. He says, the woman that you put here with me, God, she gave me fruit, fruit from the tree and I ate it. Technically correct. Technically correct. But that, you know, when, when uh, earlier in the passage when it says that Adam was with her, that, that word with, he was right there with her. He heard the whole conversation. He saw the snake. He saw Eve reach out and take the fruit and hand it to him. This was, he was a part of the whole thing. But he's hiding still. He's hiding behind blaming Eve and blaming God, this woman you gave me, and, and, and rationalizing and justifying and accusing And then the man turns to the woman, he turns to Eve, and he has a question for her too. Again, no judgment, just a question. The woman said, what is this you have done, God asks Eve. And she does the same thing Adam does. She's hiding, she's blaming, she's justifying, she's excusing that the serpent tricked me. And by the way, God, you made the serpent. We all know that. He tricked me. Adam and Eve don't want to face the truth. They messed up. 
They broke themselves. They broke the world. They broke their relationships. They messed up, but they don't want to face that truth. It hurts too much. We sang a song at the beginning. I love that song. Dre was singing it. So when my mind says I'm not good enough, you should pause because your mind is right. Okay? You got to let that sink in. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. God created human beings with the task of managing the world. Adam and Eve said, all right, God, we've been here for like two and a half weeks. We got it. They weren't good enough to manage the world without God. And you're not good enough, apart from God, to even manage your own life. And I'm not either. And we don't want to face these hard truths about ourselves. But there's no reconciliation without suffering. And that suffering comes when we need to face the hard truths about ourselves. God, again, God did that with them. He said, all right, let me tell you what's happened here. I guess it's not God handing out punishments to naughty children to teach them a lesson. This is God describing their new reality, which they have brought into existence by managing themselves and their own world and this world on their own. Okay? And God says... God says to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. She will crush your head. You will strike her heel. There is now disunity and disharmony between humans and the natural world. A world that had previously been safe was now hostile. A world that had previously, they could live vulnerable and free from fear, they now were insecure because they were now enemies with the world around them instead of friends. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Adam and Eve broke the ground. They broke the earth. And through painful toil, you will eat fruit, food from it. All the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. God was doing with Adam and Eve what every good parent does with their kids. He was helping them see that their actions have consequences. That's a good thing. If your actions didn't have consequences, you wouldn't matter at all to anyone, anywhere, for any reason. Your actions have consequences, just like Adam and Eve's actions had consequences, and not just for themselves, but for future generations. Adam and Eve made life hard for everyone that followed after them in their path. You wouldn't have done any better, so don't blame them either. I wouldn't have done any better. Actions have consequences. And they needed to face this. See, we can't be reconciled with God if all we want is God to come in and bless our mess and pat us on the back and say, it'll be okay. I'll make it all better. Don't worry. 
God said, what you did, I created you to to shape and mold this world, and you have shaped and molded this world into a mess. And Adam and Eve couldn't see it yet. We've got a few thousand years of history to see, yeah, it's a mess. And we've got to face that. If we want reconciliation with God, we have to face that. We have to face it. And that hurts, and it's painful, And we hide behind things. We hide behind all sorts of ridiculous things. We hide behind achievement. We hide behind accomplishment. We hide behind jobs and titles and positions. We hide behind degrees. We hide behind bank accounts. We hide behind relationships. We hide behind our our locked doors in our gated communities with our locked gates. And, And we hide so that we can pretend that we really are better than we really are. That we really can do that. We got a few little things, but if we just get a little tweak here and there and God just cuts us some slack here and there and those people that are causing all that problem if they can then we'll all be good because I really got this I really do if if it weren't for all those other people and things we're still hiding we're still hiding I got to say this I don't know I'm not sure why I'm saying this I went back to visit my parents last weekend uh, after church. Um, my wife's, my wife, my mom's birthday. Um, boy, man, Freud would have a field day with that statement. Don't tell either my mom or my wife that I just said that. Um, my mom's birthday, and we went back driving. I went driving through town a little bit, went up through a little area where some cousins used to live and, and my aunt used to live, and I'm not going to name it because someone down there might be watching, but it's, it's the, the street itself. It's one curved street, and, and it's got some of the poorest houses in the whole county. Um, and, and some nice ones too, but some of the poorest. And, and in the past few years, a corner in that that had previously just been woods was cleared out, leveled off, and this big, beautiful house had been built there. And I'd seen that house. And I just, I went back this past week and they put a big metal gate with a big metal fence with a big mechanical lock on it to keep all of those folks out. And what were they saying? We're okay. We know how to run our lives if we can just keep those people out. No, they can't. And no, they don't. And no, they aren't. They're as messed up as everybody else. We got to see that. We got to see that about ourselves. Whatever you're hiding behind, God wants you to see and acknowledge the unvarnished truth of who you are and what you have done. Only then is reconciliation with God possible. And it hurts. It hurts. A real little girl, she had that treasure. She didn't want to give it up. And that suffering, that suffering she went through, and finally the suffering of not being with her daddy outweighed the suffering of losing her necklace. And so she finally went one night back to her daddy. And tears were already streaming down her face when she crawled into his lap. Snot was already running out of her nose when she crawled into his lap. And she sat there in his lap and she was crying and she was rigid and she was shaking and she was waiting for the question. And it came, sweetie, will you give me your necklace? And crying and weeping and shaking, she unhooked her necklace and her daddy was holding out his hand and she put her necklace in his hand and he put it in his pocket. And when he pulled his hand out of his pocket, he had this slender, long box. And he reached around her and held it in front of her and he opened it up. And inside that box was a real pearl necklace. 
And now she was crying for a whole different reason. And he took the necklace out and he clasped it around her neck and he hugged her and he told her a story. And he kissed her and he said, good night, sweetie. I love you. And she kissed him and she said, good night, daddy. I love you. See, our problem is, is we overestimate the value of what God wants us to give up. And we underestimate the value of what God has for us if we do. You see, we have to give up something much more than stuff. You know, giving up stuff is good, but we got to give up something a lot more than stuff. What Adam and Eve had to give up was, was their, their delusional self-identity. They had to give up this notion that they could manage the world in their own lives apart from God. They had to give up the notion that, that their actions really weren't that bad after all. They had to give up the notion that they weren't really broken. They had to see themselves as they really are. And that's a treasure of great price to an awful lot of us. I'm right there with you. God says, will you give it up for me? There is no reconciliation without suffering, but the suffering is worth it. And we know the sufferings, hear this, we know the suffering is worth it, not because of stuff we're going to get on the other side, all right? God doesn't promise a bunch of stuff. We know the suffering is worth it, first of all, because God suffered to be reconciled with us. And he doesn't have to. But he did. Jesus is God in the flesh. God became flesh. Flesh that God had already said, you're dirt. Flesh is dirt. You made from the ground. God became flesh. And when he was Jesus, when God became Jesus, he took upon himself every curse that he pronounced and announced to Adam and Eve and even the snake in the garden. He was cursed. The scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But even more than that, that, that's sort of vague spiritual language. In the ancient Hebrew, literally the word cursed in the ancient Hebrew is an idiom. And the idiom, you know what an idiom is. That's like, you know, uh, I can't think of an idiom right now because I can't. My brain's stuck. You know what an idiom, look it up. Dictionary.com, you'll find it. It was an idiom, a word image. And the idiom was this, spat upon. God said to the snake, spat upon are you. God said to Adam, the earth is spat upon, cursed because of you. And what happened to Jesus on his crucifixion? He was spat upon. He was cursed. Well, you say, how could he take Eve's curse upon himself? Childbirth, Jesus didn't have children. Really? I know Jesus, physical Jesus did not give birth to babies. I understand that. But God is our father. And, and all of this pain, all of this agony was God's birth pangs so that we could be his children and reconcile to him as daughters and as sons as brothers and sisters of Jesus. And Jesus' work that he had to accomplish, he accomplished with blood, he accomplished with sweat, and he accomplished with tears so that we could be reconciled. Yes, so that we could be reconciled because that's what Jesus himself said. He said, when I am lifted up, then I will draw all people to me. That's why he was lifted up. You see, Jesus God asked this question to Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus asked this question, where are you? He asked that question to you from the cross. He asked it from the cross. 
He's not hiding in heaven somewhere. He's not standing on a mountain with a bolt of lightning in his hand. He's not just, he's not sending instructions and rules for us to follow. He didn't send a manual so that we could fix it on our own. He was lifted up on the cross and he said, I'm here. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? In relationship to God. Where are you in relationship to the truth, the unvarnished, painful truth? Where are you in relationship to yourself? Where are you? Are you still hiding behind your resumes and your accomplishments and achievements? Are you still hiding behind broken relationships? Have you taken to hiding behind chemicals and and, and pornography and gambling? Have you taken to hiding behind television and movies and entertainment? Anything to keep the noise going in front of your eyes and in your head and in your ears so you don't have to face the reality of yourself and God where are you Jesus is at the cross and that's the place to meet him he was broken and became part of our brokenness he who knew no sin was made sin to redeem us from sin to be reconciled to us And what God offers, what's on the other side of the suffering, is nothing less than this. Relationships with yourself, God, other people, and the entire world that is pure, that is innocent, that is free of insecurity, free of fear, and free of shame. That's what's on the other side. Not stuff. But the thing that you think all of the stuff will give you. Peace and joy and hope and freedom and life, true and real life. That's what God has for us. And we cannot do it on our own. We don't even know how to love ourselves, much less God and other human beings. So we come to God in the brokenness. We come to God in the fear, and we suffer through all the truth. And God takes our hand, and he wraps us up, and he kisses us, and he says, I love you. I love you. And I did this so I can do this. In Jesus' name, where are you? Amen.